is December 2nd, 2022, and welcome to episode 157 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. So today we're going to talk about the EU oil sanctions and Russia. So the EU, the United States, and the G7 are currently in the process of trying to negotiate some modifications to the European sanctions that are set to go into place uh, just in a few days here. The current set of sanctions would not only cut off Russian oil sales to Europe, but would also prohibit European companies from financing or insuring Russian oil shipments. That's important because about 70 to 80 percent of Russian oil is shipped by, by ocean, and European and G7 countries tend to be the ones that finance and insure these shipments. Russia exports about 7.7 million barrels a day, which was up in the month of October and November, of which about 1.5 million barrels go to Europe. A lot of those will be cut off under these sanctions. But what's important is the rest of these barrels, these 6 million plus barrels that are going to the rest of the world, may or may not be cut off if the Europeans don't negotiate a deal. The Europeans, though, and the United States are pushing hard to actually allow some of these companies to finance and insure Russian shipments of oil, with the idea being that if we keep Russian oil in the market and simply restrict the amount of money that Russia can make, we'll prevent oil shocks from harming the world economy. Russia will still be able to make some money on its oil, still keep producing oil, and we'll solve some of the problem because we'll at least punish Russia at some level, right? So the debate currently ongoing is, is whether or not to put these price caps, which is how they would effectuate this limitation on Russian oil revenue, uh, into place. And, add, and if so, what level those price caps should be at. Poland is essentially arguing that those price caps should be just above the Russian price to produce oil, which is about 12 to $20 a barrel, right? So they can make a little bit of money, but not enough uh, to finance the war in Ukraine. The United States, bizarrely, along with so many of our European allies, is supportive of setting price caps around 60 to $70 a barrel, which is about the current market price of oil, which generates millions and hundreds of millions of dollars a year for Russia and essentially finances their economy. So the debate today is, Price caps or not, cut off Russian oil or not, does this make any sense? Les, over to you. All right, Jamil, let me just level set here with a reality check. Uh, you can set price caps all you want on Russian oil, and it's going to have very little impact on the actual situation on the ground. There is a global market for energy. There's a global market for oil. We can cut off certain markets from Russian oil, but that Russian oil will then find other markets. It's just going to happen. So let's just, let's just be very realistic about this whole nonsense about setting price caps. It is a mirage. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing things to cut off Russia from the rest of the world. We should be. We haven't been doing them. The Biden administration's ridiculous policy towards Saudi Arabia, it's, you know, totally counterproductive energy strategy have really limited our options here to the point where we're talking about nonsensical things like price caps that are just never, ever, ever going to work. Look, I don't disagree that price caps are hard to enforce or the like, right? And I actually think price caps are a disastrous idea. I think the right answer is let's just cut Russian oil off the market completely. Let's do what the Europeans started out doing, which is preventing their companies from insuring and financing anything, not buying any Russian oil. That is the right policy. And yes, that will take off 10% of the world's uh, oil off the market. That's fine. And yeah, maybe they will sell to Iran and China. But as we did with Iran in the past, those oil sanctions can be very effective if we implement them the right way. We're choosing not to do that because we're voluntarily trying to prevent price, price prices from rising in the U.S. And by the way, the solution to keeping prices low in the U.S. is not keep Russia on the market. It's produce oil in America, a policy the Biden administration has failed at miserably, cutting off the Keystone XL pipeline, not doing right by American oil producers. We were oil, net oil. We were on the verge of being net oil exporters at the end of the Trump administration. 
And it's the Biden administration's wrong-headed policies that have put us in this place today. So not arguing whether uh, price caps work or work, don't work or the enforceability of them. These are all really difficult um, policy challenges. But, you know, realistically, you know, it's easier in the U.S. To, to weigh in on this debate. But what's going on in Europe on the ground? You know, people who are actually living, who happen to be living through cutting off Russian oil and energy from their day-to-day lives, right? And so I think we have to think about that. We have to think about their why we have different you know, European countries arguing for different price caps. I mean, thankfully, you know, the U.S. with the support of Congress has um, just support, you know, awarded $4.5 billion to help with utilities and schools and, and hospitals for Ukraine. But like, is that going to be enough to get, get them, you know, Ukraine and Europe through the winter if we do remove Russian oil from, from their market? Look, Jess, I, you're right. No doubt you're right about that. But this is the Europeans' own fault. They've been addicted to Russian natural gas and Russian oil for decades. They've known about the threat. They built the they built the gas the the Nord Stream one pipeline. They were on the verge of building Nord Stream two pipeline against U.S. advice. We had alternatives the Nabucco pipeline back in the Bush administration. The Europeans didn't go along with it. This is their own fault. And and they watched the war building in Ukraine. They didn't do enough to prevent it. They've been they've been weak sauce about trying to go in and, and protect against it. This whole idea that the Europeans are 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 so put on. Because, and by the way, by the way, the Europeans are the ones who put these sanctions in place. It was their idea. It's the Biden administration now that's trying to walk it back because they're afraid of domestic politics at home. And the solution to that is not help the Russians. It's help Americans who drill for oil in this country. Jamil, you sound like a great friend. Of, what a great friendship you, you, you promised to our allies. Like, I mean, we saw reports last week. You see a bunch, you know growing feelings amongst European leaders that the U.S. is overcharging for natural gas, right? Like, what, what kind of friendship is this that the, the cost they're buying is four times the cost here, you know, domestically? I, I'm just pointing out the narrative being spun there. I mean, oh, they, they, they built this, they deal with it. I, I mean, that's really Look, how to get through a war. I'm, I'm sorry, Jones. I, I have to at least somewhat agree with Jamil here. Like, our, our European that's friends and allies, yeah, I know, it's, uh, I'm a little concerned. Uh, our European friends and allies could not be more feckless. They are not capable of leading on issues like this. They are, they are like water that is just going to seep the lowest level all the time. <laughs> Only the United States can lead. And the problem here has been Biden administration policies for the last two years on energy and the Middle East have really limited our options to lead. There's no doubt about that. Now the Biden administration has to go kind of hat in hand to the Venezuelans of all people to try and increase production there. Because at the end of the day, this is all about supply and demand. And we can we can pretend we're going to set some sort of price cap. It won't happen. The only thing we can really do is increase supply. We've shown that we can't really reduce demand. That's not a realistic option in the short term, but we can increase supply. The, the Biden administration is not taking, has decided for political reasons, not to take steps to increase domestic production. That is a huge mistake. So we're left with these these crazy alternative plans that are just not going to be very effective. And Jamil's right. This is this is going to extend the war in Ukraine longer than it has to, and it's going to limit our ability to punish the Russians. So we should, but we should not make the mistake here of expecting the Europeans to lead on this. They're never going to do that. That is our job. That is our role. We need to kind of listen to them because we're their friend and we share a lot of values with them. But at the end of the day, the U.S. has to be the the one making tough adult decisions here to do the right thing. You know, my biggest worry about this whole thing, though, is that I'm not sure congressional Republicans coming into control of the House are going to do anything to help the situation. They are just as weak sauce as the Europeans and as the Biden administration is on all this stuff. They may be good on American energy production, but what they're terrible at is is Russia right now. And I think the, while the leadership may be there and a lot of the Republicans in the House are there, the new cadre of folks coming in and the, some of the ones that were reelected are increasingly Russia friendly, which is deeply, deeply troubling. 
I'm really worried. I worry that we're not we're actually going to extend this war in Ukraine much longer, a lot more human suffering, and we're going to do it because we're worried about domestic politics. That's a terrible idea. Let's, Jamil, I, I don't think you're being very realistic here. Yes, there are some lunatics on the far right, just like there are some lunatics on the far left who say things that are basically positive to the Russians. Either we think Putin's a good guy or we're being too tough on the Russians, which is what the left wingers say. Like, shame on them. Let them, let's let them get out on stage and pontificate and show the world that they're morons. That's fine because the, the mainstream in both parties are going to outnumber them. And I'm actually not too worried about Congress on this issue. And that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Agacon and Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for the help producing today's episode. Join us again this upcoming Monday for a special week-long series of interviews from Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. This special series of interviews with key national security leaders prepping us for what to expect in the new year will be recorded live this weekend at the Reagan National Defense Forum out in the beautiful Simi Valley, California. So tune in next week for that special series. 